of Human Bondage by William Somerset Maugham, Chapter 39, Segment 1. The vicar of Blackstable would have nothing to do with the scheme which Philip laid before him. He had a great idea that one should stick to whatever one had begun. Like all weak men, he laid an exaggerated stress on not changing one's mind. "'You chose to be an accountant of your own free will,' he said. "'I just took that because it was the only chance I had of getting up to town. "'I hate London. I hate the work. "'And nothing will induce me to go back to it.' "'Mr. and Mrs. Carey were frankly shocked at Philip's idea of being an artist. "'He should not forget,' they said, "'that his father and mother were gentlefolk, "'and painting wasn't a serious profession. "'It was bohemian, disreputable, immoral.' And then Paris. So as long as I have anything to say in the matter, I shall not allow you to live in Paris, said the vicar firmly. It was a sink of iniquity. The scarlet woman and she of Babylon flaunted their vileness there. The cities of the plain were not more wicked. You've been brought up like a gentleman and Christian, and I should be false to the trust laid upon me by your dead father and mother if I allowed you to expose yourself to such temptation. "'Well, I know I'm not a Christian, and I'm beginning to doubt whether I'm a gentleman,' said Philip. The dispute grew more violent. There was another year before Philip took possession of his small inheritance, and during that time Mr. Carey proposed only to give him an allowance if he remained at the office. It was clear to Philip that, if he meant not to continue with accountancy, he must leave it while he could still get back half the money that he had been paid for his articles.' The vicar would not listen. Philip, losing all reserve, said things to wound and irritate. "'You've got no right to waste my money,' he said at last. "'After all, it's my money, isn't it? I'm not a child. You can't prevent me from going to Paris if I make up my mind to. You can't force me to go back to London. All I can do is refuse you money unless you do what I think fit. Well, I don't care.' I've made up my mind to go to Paris. I shall sell my clothes and my books and my father's jewelry. Aunt Louisa sat by in silence, anxious and unhappy. She saw that Philip was beside himself, and anything she said then would but increase his anger. Finally, the vicar announced that he wished to hear nothing more about it, and with dignity left the room. For the next three days, neither Philip nor he spoke to one another. Philip wrote to Hayward for information about Paris, and made up his mind to set out as soon as he got a reply. Mrs. Carey turned the matter over in her mind incessantly. She felt that Philip included her and the hatred he bore her husband, and the thought tortured her. She loved him with all her heart. At length she spoke to him. She listened attentively while he poured out his disillusionment of London and his eager ambition for the future. End of segment one. Chapter 39, segment two. I may be no good, but at least let me have a try. I can't be a worse failure than I was in that beastly office, and I feel that I can paint. I know I've got it in me. She was not so sure as her husband that they did right in thwarting so strong an inclination. 
She had read of great painters whose parents had opposed their wish to study. The event had shown with what folly. And after all, it was just as possible for a painter to lead a virtuous life to the glory of God as for a chartered accountant. I'm so afraid of your going to Paris, she said piteously. It wouldn't be so bad if you studied in London. If I'm going in for painting, I must do it thoroughly. And it's only in Paris that you can get the real thing. At his suggestion, Mrs. Carey wrote to the solicitor saying that Philip was discontented with his work in London and asking what he thought of a change. Mr. Nixon answered as follows. Dear Mrs. Carey, I have seen Mr. Herbert Carter, and I am afraid I must tell you that Philip has not done so well as one could have wished. If he is very strongly set against the work, perhaps it is better that he should take the opportunity there is now to break his articles. I am naturally very disappointed, but, as you know, you can take a horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. Yours very sincerely, Albert Nixon. The letter was shown to the vicar, but served only to increase his obstinacy. He was willing enough that Philip should take up some other profession, but he suggested his father's calling, medicine, but nothing would induce him to pay an allowance if Philip went to Paris. It's a mere excuse for self-indulgence and sensuality, he said. I'm interested to hear you blame self-indulgence in others, retorted Philip acidly. But by this time, an answer had come from Hayward, giving the name of a hotel where Philip could get a room for 30 francs a month and enclosing a note of introduction to the messier of a school. Philip read the letter to Mrs. Carey and told her he proposed to start on the 1st of September. But you haven't got any money, she said. I'm going into Turkenbury this afternoon to sell the jewelry. He had inherited from his father a gold watch and chain, two or three rings, some links, and two pins. One of them was a pearl, and might fetch a considerable sum. It's a very different thing, what a thing's worth, and what it'll fetch, said Aunt Louisa. Philip smiled, for this was one of his uncle's stock phrases. I know, but at the worst I think I can get a hundred pounds on the lot, and that'll keep me till I'm twenty-one. Mrs. Carey did not answer, but she went upstairs, put on her little black bonnet, and went to the bank. In an hour she came back. She went to Philip, who was reading in the drawing room, and handed him an envelope. "'What's this?' he asked. "'It's a little present for you,' she answered, smiling shyly. He opened it and found eleven five-pound notes and a little paper sack bulging with sovereigns. I couldn't bear to let you sell your father's jewelry. It's the money I had in the bank. It comes to nearly a hundred pounds. Philip blushed, and he knew not why. Tears suddenly filled his eyes. Oh, my dear, I can't take it, he said. It's most awfully good of you, but I couldn't bear to take it. End of segment two. Chapter 39, Segment 3 When Mrs. Carey was married, she had 300 pounds, and this money, carefully watched, had been used by her 
to meet any unforeseen expense, any urgent charity, or to buy Christmas and birthday presents for her husband and for Philip. In the course of years, it had diminished sadly, but it was still with the vicar a subject for jesting. He talked of his wife as a rich woman, and he constantly spoke of the nest egg. Oh, please take it, Philip. I'm so sorry I've been so extravagant and there's only that left, but it'll make me so happy if you'll accept it. But you'll want it, said Philip. No, I don't think I shall. I was keeping it in case your uncle died before me. I thought it would be useful to have a little something I could get at immediately if I wanted it, but I don't think I shall live very much longer now. Oh, my dear, don't say that. Why, of course you're going to live forever. I can't possibly spare you. Oh, I'm not sorry. Her voice broke, and she hid her eyes. But in a moment, drying them, she smiled bravely. At first, I used to pray to God that he might not take me first, because I didn't want your uncle to be left alone. I didn't want him to have all the suffering. But now I know that it wouldn't mean so much to your uncle as it would mean to me. He wants to live more than I do. I've never been the wife he wanted, and I dare say he'd marry again if anything happened to me. So I should like to go first. You don't think it's selfish of me, Philip, do you? But I couldn't bear it if he went. Philip kissed her wrinkled, thin cheek. He did not know why the sight he had of that overwhelming love made him feel strangely ashamed. It was incomprehensible that she could care so much for a man who was so indifferent, so selfish, so grossly self-indulgent. And he divined dimly that, in her heart, she knew his indifference and his selfishness, knew them, and loved him humbly all the same. "'You will take the money, Philip, won't you?' she said, gently stroking his hand. "'I know you can do without it, but It'll give me so much happiness. I've always wanted to do something for you. You see, I've never had a child of my own, and I've loved you as if you were my son. When you were a little boy, though I knew it was wicked, I used to wish almost that you might be ill, so that I could nurse you day and night. But you were only ill once, and then it was at school. I should so like to help you. It's the only chance I shall ever have. And perhaps someday, when you're a great artist, you won't forget me. But you'll remember that I gave you your start. It's very good of you, said Philip. I'm very grateful. A smile came to her tired eyes. A smile of pure happiness. Oh, I'm so glad. End of segment three.